0: Congratulations, you've just been handed a huge new opportunity, bravo. With it comes the need for new skills, skills you'll need to master in short order. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you develop the hard and soft skills it takes to succeed in new roles. This is your chance, go. Start by going to hbs.me go. That's hbs.me go. Of Troy News is an absolute podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hey, we won a basketball game. We did. First time in a while. And I'd say probably the longest this team has gone in forty years between Jim Beheim and them, which is troubling.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean I mean just with, even with not Tony Beheim, but it's been since December twenty seventh, which is bizarre and, and unfortunate. Um But, you know, we looked really good yesterday. Obviously, BC being BC helps part of that. But uh, I think at this point, we were all ready to win any game. So glad to uh, be back on the the right side of things, at least for a week.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let's see if it's even a week. And we have a game coming up on Saturday. At least for a couple days. (laughs) Uh, Dan, what was the... uh, I guess, what was the... um biggest positive for you coming out of that game? I mean, obviously, we to get a win, I think, is just good from a psychological standpoint for a young team, but um, was there something in particular that just really stuck out to you um, as a harbinger of maybe some some better things to come um, for the Syracuse squads?
1: Um, it was nice to see Mike Benege kind of bounce back from, you know, he had the really rough game uh, against UNC and had kind of been in a little bit of a slump. Um, so seeing him come back, not his best game ever, but, you know, shot 5 for 8 from the field, which is pretty good. Um, rebounded the ball well. Got a bunch of steals. Stored 14. So it was a nice nice bounce back performance, and we didn't need him to be a star just because BC couldn't store at all. Um, and then Malachi Richardson just having a really, really good ACC uh, s- season so far um, and definitely looks like a guy who's going to be able to contribute at a big, in a big way You know, for the balance of the year. Um, he's been... Uh, In double digits since that Texas Southern game, he he scored 20 against Miami, 21 against Clemson. He played well against UNC, scored 16. So he's been playing really well at a really high level. Um, actually, this whole year there's only been uh, three games where he's been under double. Uh, you know, he's had fewer than double digit points. So, um, you know, at first obviously we were all about Tyler Lydon. He's kind of tapered off a little bit for various reasons, but uh, Richardson's really turning into the player, probably the at the upper end of what we thought he could be as a freshman this year, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think Richardson provides a unique kind of uh, perspective for a freshman player anyway. I think that, you know, in recent years, we've seen a lot of high hopes for freshmen. I think ever since Carmelo um, and, and Jerry, there's been a lot of high hopes for, for you know, highly tattered freshmen. And, you know, while we've seen different levels of success and high level success, I think that Richardson's been one of the more consistent ones in in recent years, um, and you know, like you said, at first he was kind of overshadowed by Lydon, in um, portions overshadowed by Benige, both of them being you know primary scorers. But Richardson's really played pretty consistently, and shown, I think, in the last couple of games that when he when he's taking smarter shots and not just uh, you know being a volume shooter as he sometimes can you know get roped into. Um, you see a high quality player with a with a good basketball i q and someone who really you know has the type of athleticism um, to to play both inside and out um, and i mean i I don't want to start worrying about whether he leaves or not, I don't think we can afford to have anyone else leave earlier than intended. But um, that conversation could be for another day. But for now, I think you know Richardson's really rounding into a great player, and I think him learning under um, you know uh, guys like Benajé and, and Cooney um, can, can only stand to benefit his career.
1: Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is he came in with a reputation as being this like deadly shooter, and he's had games where he's been uh, really dangerous from three, um, especially in that Clemson game. He went crazy. Clemson, in Miami, he was. He had two ridiculous shooting nights um, overall for the season like he 's shooting thirty three percent which is fine. I think that'll go up um, as he becomes more comfortable but the the fact that he 's put the ball on the ground as, or on the floor as effectively as he has uh, is super super impressive Because that you know we we saw him do it at the high school level, but it seemed like the shooting was going to be the ability that translated um, directly and and he 's been a fine shooter, but uh his ability to get to the hoop um, i don 't think many expected it to be as uh, big a part of his game as it has been.
0: Agreed. And you know what? I think the other big part of yesterday, and this is something that we, we harped on a ton when he was out for a few games is, uh, you know, the emergence of Frank Howard. Um, I, I know point guards kind of been a point of contention, um, all season. Obviously we've kind of rotated in, um, several different players, but, but Frank Howard, uh, just really seemed to, you know, provide exactly what we needed at the position, um, in yesterday's game, he played 14 minutes there um, And while he didn't put up any points um, And really didn't rack up, you know, assists I, I just think he provided a, a certain amount of consistency um, t- To let, you know, Benege operate off ball um, and, and, and really kind of, you know, be what he is w- Which is a scorer rather than the, you know, facilitator He was kind of forced to be um, over, over various stretches In the early part of the season
1: yeah, he, you know, he hasn't put up big numbers yet. He, his Most points in the game is Sits against Texas Southern. Um, but he I, I just think the offense looks like it doesn't really lose a major step with him in there, like you said. Um, and it also puts Mike Benage in more of a, an offensive role. Um, and you can kind of plug him in with a number of different players. So I think the actual scoring and him making plays will come. Um, but it definitely – it's nice to be able to plug him in for – for five, ten minutes and not really worry about the team going into a giant slump because he he seems to be able to run the offense effectively, which is important.
0: Yep. Um, I guess moving a little bit, you know, um, into some of the big men, Dewan Coleman probably had his best game um, in a little while, um, but do you think this was just, a, just kind of a, a one-off for him? I mean, obviously Dennis Clifford is, is, is a quality center for BC, but... Um, do you think this is maybe the game he needed to kind of get his confidence back, stay out of foul trouble by and large um, and you know maybe you know put this into a couple consecutive uh double digit efforts even if the rebounds still sort of uh were, we're lagging in behind
1: um I think he 's been impressive I think it hit u n c as well you kind of saw the difference when he was out of the game. Um, but the fact that Syracuse out rebounded u n c even if it was only by one or two i think uh, is super impressive because they're one of the best rebounding teams in the country, and Syracuse has been one of the worst. So I think he's starting to find his sea legs a bit. He's playing um, more minutes now. His last uh, two games have been his two biggest games in terms of minutes. Um, the rebounds haven't been, you know, he, he he hasn't had double-digit boards yet, but I think he's rebounding slightly better. But I think the team just overall... Um, has more of a presence when he's in there and if he can chip in 11 points like he did last night I mean that's that's gravy for for the Syracuse team I think
0: yeah I mean I think the, the one thing uh notable I saw last night um other than you know Coleman playing well and, and Roberson although he you know got into some foul trouble himself uh still seemed to contribute um and actually shot reasonably well from the floor if not the free throw line where he was you know an abysmal two for five but um, you didn't see any Chino, um, and I think that that, uh, that speaks in volumes about where he sits um, in the, uh, you know, Bayheim hierarchy. That's highly unfortunate because I, I do, I, I've maintained all year, I really do think we, we need him to be able to be a factor. But um, unfortunately, it just seems like things have kind of fallen apart with Iboko on the floor.
1: Yeah, and he's really in the, like, break in case of emergency glass, the uh, Shantae Riley position which, I mean, it would be great if we had a legitimate backup center, but clearly, I mean, his numbers didn't really change much with Hopkins touching the team, and I feel like Hopkins was a little more um, aggressive in terms of trying out new rotations and trying out new players. Um, I think you saw Coleman roll, it spanned a little bit with Hopkins. I think you saw um, Howard's until he got sick, it spanned with Hopkins. Chino, not really. Um, so I think this is just going to be, uh, it just doesn't seem like he, they they have any confidence in him kind of maintaining um, the level of play at the center position, even for five minutes at time, which is unfortunate because if you could get five to ten minutes out of him, it would make a, a world of difference, I think.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, this has been a kind of, you know, point of consternation over the last couple of years is that only having one center and maybe a, a power forward you can switch into that spot has definitely been problematic. Um for Syracuse, it's been problematic on the boards, problematic for scoring, foul trouble, etc. Um, and to, to have a Boko, a guy who should be able to rebound at least a little bit um, out, has definitely been a detriment. Um, last kind of note from that game, um, and this is not just this game related, but I, I think several games now. Um, what's going on with Tyler Lydon? Uh, like you said, he uh, he started the year hot. He uh, he was getting all the accolades. He was getting stupid amounts of you know draft lottery talk and all this other stuff. And he's really come back down to earth. Um, wh- what do you think it is? You think for Lydon, it's just—is it exhaustion? Is it just defense is really keying in on him? I mean, obviously, he's a versatile player, so you can't necessarily, um, you know, just just harp on one part of his game. But uh, what what do you think has been been bugging, you know, Leiden the most over probably the last like couple weeks?
1: Uh, I think Beheim was pretty spot on. He said, uh, you know, teams finally realized who he was and what he could do because Lydon you know he's a four-star recruit but he wasn't uh nearly the he wasn't nearly as touted as, as Richardson was he was you know from a small New York town um he really burst onto the scene his last year but I don't think many expected him to have the role that he even does now on this team um and then obviously in Atlantis he just totally blew up and and had some huge games uh against Charlotte UConn and Texas A&M so uh I think the ACC uh programs have just kind of taken notice and aren't going to let him beat them. Um, and I think he has done a little cold. I think there's definitely a confidence issue. You, you kind of see it when he catches the ball. Um, he just doesn't go up with the, you know, assurance that he's going to knock down the shot. Um, but he'll dip through it. I mean, he's a young player. He's playing a lot of time out of position. Um, not not quite as much because Coleman's been able to handle a little more of the load at the last couple games. But um, I think we're going to, you know, have some ups and downs with him just as a freshman. Uh, luckily, I, I think we can put the... Uh, him gonna be a one and done stuff to rest if that was ever a legitimate concern, which I don't think it really was. Um, but I'm not worried about him long term. I just think you know we probably got more out of him early on than we should have, and we're probably getting a little less than we should now. Um, hopefully it balances out by the end of the year and he's kind of back to being a you know the threat that he was uh, early in the season as he you know gains a little more confidence and a little more experience playing against good competition.
0: That's a very good perspective, and yeah, I I think he's probably averaging into the player that we thought, but now we just need him to be that average player, Um, so hopefully that continues. Um, Moving on to this weekend, uh, like we both said, it was a great win against BC, but there's not really a ton you can extrapolate out from that game when you're facing one of the worst Power 5, if not the worst Power 5 program um, in the country. Uh, Wake Forest, um, not great, but not bad either. Sneaky good. Um, I would contend uh, they had that that signature win over Indiana uh, from earlier in the year Uh, they beat LSU they have lost in not really impressive fashion to teams like Duke, like Louisville um, like Vandy Uh, what do you make of Wake Forest um, and and what challenges do you think that they bring against Syracuse um, this Saturday especially for for a a Nooner which is never a a, a great sign especially uh, on the road for SEO.
1: Um, I think sneaky goods is a good way to describe them. Um, like you said, they, they beat Indiana, which, you know, you can knock Tom Crane's coaching ability, but he does bring talent in, so it's, it's a nice-looking win. Um, they kept things fairly close in Louisville. Uh, Xavier, they played, they beat LSU, although that's not nearly as impressive as it probably seems because LSU just, like, can't quite figure it out outside of Ben Simmons. Um, they beat NC State. Uh, they just lost to Virginia Tech, who's also like sneaky getting better. Um, so they're you know a pretty standard mid-level uh, ACC team, but I think the ACC overall's uh, a deeper lead this year than it has been. Um, looking at what Clemson's been doing, and I don't think Clemson's overly talented. I think they just play really really tough. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, it's definitely not a team that we should sleep on. Devin Thomas has been uh, rock solid for them, averaging almost 17 and 10. Um, I think Cody Miller McIntyre has only played a couple of games. He's, you know, been their best player for a couple of years. Uh, he's kind of getting, uh, rounded into form after going down with an injury to start the season. Um, there's obviously a Constantinos Tino's who we know all about after he torched us last year, I believe. Um, so it's a team with some interesting players. I think they're fairly well coached under Danny Manning. Um, and I, I, do agree. I think it's gonna be a tough one. Uh, I don't know if we even have like a lineup or anything, but, um, this is a definitely a game where Syracuse can't afford to come out uh, looking um, sloppy just because it's a road game. It's an early game. I think if if that happens, I could see Wake kind of jumping on us.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the early start is is killer, especially on the road. I think that you know, this is a team that shoots well enough from three. Um, obviously, we saw it last year. We're going to see it again this year. This is a team that you know they don't take they don't keep control of the ball. Um, you know, amazingly. But uh, I wouldn't say that they uh, that they're sloppy at all with the with the basketball. I think Danny Manning, like you said, coaches really well and has this team um, very improved. Um, I, I just think we have a work cut out for us. And you know, th- this is the first kind of must win. I know we've said that a couple games now. This is the first kind of must win um, in, in a lengthy stretch here. Uh, I we can talk about the article from uh, today, and for those listening, yesterday. Um, you know, about about bad losses and what those really mean. But um, if Syracuse is going to get past some of those losses um, in the early going, uh, they need to win games like this against peer programs. Um, yet Wake is just – I don't think they're necessarily geared to, to kill us inside, um, outside of Devin Thomas, but uh, we've seen, you know, lesser teams do more um, on, on that front. I think if we can reduce threes um, – and in general, just stay out of the stupid mistakes that have really killed us um, in, in recent weeks. I think we stand a good chance to win. But um, again, the, the, this Wake team is tough; they're scrappy, and, and uh, I, I think the, the book is far from written on, on how to beat them, which is uh, you know a good sign for for any young team with a young coach.
1: Yeah, I, agree. I mean, this is it's unfortunate that we have to bring up like how important a game is to the season. Um, this early, but I think we're just kind of facing that reality. I, I wrote it in the roundtable that we did a day or two ago. Um, I think talent-wise, Syracuse um, has the ability to make the tournament. It wouldn't shock me if they, you know, came out and started winning, uh, you know, all the games that they should, and, and you know, come play their best basketball from uh, March, and that'd be great. But there's just so little wiggle room now for what this team uh, needs to do in ACC play because of those four losses out of the gate and granted i don't like you wrote today i don't think any of them's a bad loss pitt and miami have been two of the best teams in the conference so far unc obviously is the conference favorite for a reason and clemson what's really really good um and legitimately so like they are four and one and they've beaten some really good teams um but just starting on four i mean if you think we have to go nine and nine or or eight and ten and do some work on the tournament like it's not that's not an easy thing to get to uh, especially when you still have games against Duke you have Virginia you have Notre Dame you have Florida State you have another UNC game so um things are definitely stacked against the orange but uh you know you beat Wake on the road and that's a a, probably a toss-up game in terms of what the odds look like and what people uh, outside of Syracuse think and then you have uh you know two wins heading into that really brutal stretch from Duke to uh The Duke, UVA, Notre Dame stretch that's coming up, and and you hope to steal one of those, but having three wins after that is better than having one, which is a a real reality heading into this week game.
0: Agreed. And yeah, before we get into those losses a little bit more, and kind of focusing on that article, you you mentioned ACC was a much deeper league this year. I mean, is it truly a 14-deep league right now? I mean, obviously there's four at the top, um, with Pitt kind of lingering right on the outside looking in, but... Um, you know, is this is this really a 14 deep league at this point? You look at the standings; you see a lot of teams, well, every team with um, you know at least 11 wins now, except for Boston. Well, at least 10 wins, except for Boston College. NC State is 10 and seven. Um, do you just think that that this is a product of the influx of quality coaching, influx of talent, the fact that um, by and large um, the ACC is just is able to bring in just better players on a year-to-year basis um, than any other league because of the venues it plays in, because of the stage it plays on. Um, you know, it, it is, are, are we nearing a point where, I know we've debated it before, is this league better than the Big East um, was at its, at its behemoth days? Um, or, or do you think that there's still, there's still maybe another step it has to go because it's still only about four, maybe five deep at the top?
1: Um, I, I don't think it, at the top it's quite as strong as even some of these lastable ACC teams, or some of the or ACC years or the the uh, Big East years that we all kind of remember and love. But um, in terms of depth, I mean, even the bottom of this league, Syracuse is there. I don't think any of us think Syracuse is an outright bad team. Boston College is probably a bad team. I think we can say that kind of safely. Sorry, Eagles. Um, but NC State, you know, they're ten and seven. They're they're they don't have a win yet in conference. I mean, Cat Barber is one of the best players in the league by far. Uh, Maverick Rowan's very good. Abdul-Malik Abu is really good. So they have players. Um, Georgia Tech has Marcus Georges Hunt. Uh, They have Adam Smith. Like, all these teams that are at the bottom of the league have very talented, like, guys that could make a run for a first or second all-conference team. Um, And that's pretty much across the board. Uh, And I don't think the top is played. I think UNC is very good. I think Duke, when they get healthy, is very good. I don't think it's... You know they're quite at the level of some of these other ACC squads, and you know, but I think that's kind of how college basketball has shifted this year. I don't think we have a dominant program in the country, um, and I, I agree. I don't think there's like a huge gap between, let's say, like the number four or five ACC team and the number fourteen um, or even fifteen. Like I, th- I think BC is really the, um, well fourteen. <laughs> BC is pretty bad, but uh, everyone else I think is competitive, and and I think all of them are still in some kind of position where they can make a run for the tournament if they on a streak, and I think all of them have players that can kind of lead that kind of run in in the uh, the right circumstances.
0: Agreed. You know, I kind of brought that up because um, I thought it kind of informed the point about you know th- these losses, and, and not just these losses that we've suffered, but but the ones that you know are are probably upcoming, or the games that we could potentially turn into wins. Um, this is a brutal stretch. This is we said this last year when the schedule came out, and we saw how it ended. We saw, said this year, um, with a pretty solid stretch from the you know beginning of the season outside the BC game, um, just a really difficult stretch now with, with Wake Forest and Duke of Virginia all coming up. Um, so Dan, going to the article, uh, I said out of the seven losses thus far that there was only one certifiably bad game. Um, and that one was St. John's. It's a it's a bad loss, no matter what the tournament committee says about um, Mike Hopkins replacing Beheim and discounting those games a little bit. Um, that one's dead. Do you think the other games all qualify as either not bad or good, um, or do you think there's still some time for some of those other games to fall into bad and really kind of bite us at the end?
1: Um, the one I have the hardest time with is Wisconsin, just because, like on paper, they shouldn't they should be a, a solid team. Obviously, they lost Bo Ryan mid-year, which is, you know, a weird situation, but they have talent, not as much talent as they had uh, on these last two teams where they made, you know, deep runs in the tournament, but it, it seems like they should have taken like a, a big but not astronomical set step back, and they just haven't really found it this season. Um, but again, like, they're kind of like some of these other like some of the teams that we were just talking about in the ECC, where uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they start to, you know, find themselves as a team and, and maybe not make the tournament, but you know, become a dangerous Big Ten squad down the stretch. Um, that being said, they're not really one now. Uh, but again, like, like I, I don't think right now um, you get too worked up over the Wisconsin loss if it wasn't for the fact that a team at the beginning of a string of a lot of these bad losses. Uh, but I agree, St. John's is the one. Like, that St. John's seems really bad. And, uh, I mean, they lost to Chaminade, they lost to NJIT, like, this, this was... This is just not a quality basketball team for a number of reasons, um, and the game at the Darden, just—I was there. It, it was barely as close as the store looked at the end. Like Syracuse had a chance to get back in it late, but they just St. John's kind of put their their hand on Syracuse's forehead, and, and Syracuse just couldn't even come close to hitting them with a swing. So um, that one is definitely the one that looks bad, Beheim or not. Like you said, it, it just—it's hard to shake to the thought of losing to a team that's having such a bad season like St. John's.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know what, Syracuse in, in I think, recent years, and I'm, I say recent as in before before the the 9 10 team um, was probably good for a, for a miserable loss almost every year um, prior to that for about a decade. Um, and, and we saw maybe a four or five year break from that um, I mean, some exceptions, but by and large, that. Um, and now I think we're, we're back to it. Um, and yeah, the, the St. John's game, no matter what position we were in, would still be a black eye um, just because of who they've lost to. I mean, their RPI is a joke. Um, if you go by ESPN's metrics anyway, it's 181st. Um, some other metrics are worse. Ken Palm probably says worse. Um, yeah, the Wisconsin game is... is the Wisconsin game and the Clemson game, I feel like, kind of uh, tinge how you really view... Um, those losses, I, I would think. Um, Clemson—it's an overtime loss at home. Um, Beheim was not coaching, but um, you know, Clemson is an 11 and 6 squad. So then, that's on the negative side. Their RPI is still over 100. That's on the negative side. But the wins that they've racked up um, against, you know, Louisville um, and against Duke, uh, th- this is a team that seems like. Its record isn't indicative of just how talented it is, and I would argue has actually played a, a tougher schedule than maybe they're being given credit for. I mean, there were several SEC teams on there. Uh, the Tigers really kind of challenged themselves a bit, um, and, and I'd like to see how they kind of round out by the end. I mean, that one could turn into quality victory. The Wisconsin one's puzzling because they are nine and nine, but um, outside that, you know, pretty bad loss to UW Milwaukee and the Western Illinois season opening loss. Um, and they've lost the quality programs. I mean, take Marquette out, but Purdue, Indiana, Maryland, Northwestern, like all quality teams, all teams with, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 wins. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Wisconsin game is tough, because it's, I think especially because it was under Beheim and, and might hurt us too um, at the end of the day. But I, I think those those two games in particular could really swing a lot um, depending on how you and, and how the committee views them um, as we enter into February and then March,
1: yeah, I, I think it's an interesting comparison. It's it's like Wisconsin came into the year with fairly high expectations, just coming off of this couple seasons they have, and they've underperformed. Where Clemson probably didn't have, I mean, they were picked to win t- to finish twelfth in the ACC, and they're still like kind of hanging around there in the standings because they had some iffy losses early, but they're really rounding into a form where they look like uh, they're either overachieving or they're just far better than we thought. Um, but both probably are like kind of around the same, the same spot. Um, and and I think both to the, you know, go a long way to help Syracuse or hurt Syracuse. But uh, I definitely don't mind seeing Clemson start to knock off some of these better teams because Syracuse, again, they, they should have won the game. Like that was a game that SU had at the end. Um, and it doesn't make us feel a lot better, but the, the committee will look at that if Syracuse is on the bubble um, and it, it would definitely help if, the overtime one-point loss to Clemson was to a Clemson team that is also, you know, a bubble or, or, you know, looking decent for the tournament team rather than, oh, Clemson had some interesting games in the middle of the year but ended up being 19 and 13 and not really being all that close. Well,
0: that's the one issue that, uh, that some people brought up in the comment section, um, which was, you know, Clemson winning sounds great on paper, but if Clemson keeps winning, Clemson's going to be part of our competition for that bubble spot. Um, and if it comes down to Clemson versus Syracuse, you know who has the better resume? It could be Clemson just by way of head-to-head, um, and 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 that would would obviously be a nightmare if if a one-point overtime loss could be the thing that you know breaks us toward the end.
1: Yeah, I, I far preferred when we didn't have to worry about these ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, those uh, <laughs> those years where we were getting top four seeds and, and and doing that whole thing those were those were much more fun than my. Uh, At least my freshman year when everyone and their mom thought we were a tournament team, we were not. Uh, I was extremely aggravated, as was pretty much everybody else. Uh, Not times we wanted to relive, but one we might have to come tournament time uh, this March.
1: Yeah, an underrated portion of the 2015 season. No bubble drama whatsoever.
0: (laughs) That was arguably my favorite part of the 2015 season. And I guess that, uh, yeah, I think that, that basketball talk kind of takes us to halftime. Uh, Dan, what have you been drinking for the past week?
1: Uh, not a ton. It was a, a busy uh, couple of days. Obviously, we had the College Football National Championship, which meant uh, I was working until one thirty a.m., um, and then just been kind of unwinding from, from that, so really have not had a lot since we last spoke uh, when I had a, a decent amount to touch on, so... I could head over to you for the the balance.
0: You'd be surprised. I actually was feeling quite, uh, well, under the weather uh, throughout the weekend in Arizona. Uh, So I was just trying to power through, drink minimally uh, so as not to exacerbate the issue. Um, I did have a few beers, though. I had some stuff in Treehouse that I uh, received from a trustee that I help out in uh, Connecticut. Um, had Green from Treehouse, it's an IPA, and also had uh, their Curiosity 23, which was very, very good. Uh, really enjoyed the latter. Um, had Peeling Out, it's a Dark Sky Brewing, it's a Tangerine Rye IPA. Um, had that at the Angel's Trumpet Ale House in, uh, in downtown Phoenix. Um, also got to stop in at um, my favorite restaurant in Phoenix, the Arrogant Butcher, uh, to have Nebraska Brewing's uh, Cardinal Pale Ale. Uh, nothing amazing, but it is a, just a good, solid pale ale. Um, to grab a dinner. Also had from historic brewing in Arizona uh pie hole cherry vanilla porter, um which lives up to the uh to the name and then some. So yeah, much, much briefer list than normal, but uh still still a couple good good new things and hopefully I'm back at it um for for this week.
1: Yeah, hopefully uh hopefully the same may go check out a brewery or something this weekend now that my uh my life is and I'll say unfortunately without football because like having you know, been looking for things to write about the last couple of days. Definitely miss uh, miss the season already, which is unfortunate.
0: Same here. Uh, and I, I was just glad that, uh, for me, I, I got to end the season watching the game uh, in Arizona. It was just a blast. Um, but we can talk about the game for a few. Um, Dan, I mean, obviously, the and sorry, listeners, this is going to be a couple-minute conversation, and I swear we're going to move on to Syracuse stuff again. Um obviously that onside kick was the real you know kind of momentum swing it was it ended up not being necessarily a backbreaker for Clemson but you could I mean at least from my point of view you could kind of feel the air uh leave the Clemson half of the building um for you watching at home um you know what I guess what was that call like and what did you like what was going through your head you know when it happened so spur of the moment
1: um, I think a lot of people touched about this, uh, touched on this after the game with their various pieces uh, I know Will Leach wrote about it for Sports on Earth um, it was such a an anti-Saben thing to do um, in a lot of ways uh, both like you don't expect Nick Saban to make basically trick plays like that uh, calls like that in huge moments of, of pivotal games um, and he hasn't had to because every other national championship he's had with uh, Alabama has been a blowout Um so it was it was shocking on its face like that but then even almost more so after the game when he essentially said you know our defense couldn't stop Deshaun watson so we didn't want to put them back out there when they were tired um and with alabama i'm we're also unused to them having to resort to resort to uh to david strategies like that um because they are just so much more talented and so much uh more well coached and everything else with that uh just on almost you know game in and game out, and when they lose, it's because of of you know a heroic game from the opposite the uh, opposing quarterback, or um, there always seems to be like a an outside factor. In this game, Clemson was just kind of playing with them straight up, uh, pretty much the entire game, if not outplaying them. And to see Saban make a call that um, a was both like the execution was perfect, but b to that kind of like. Admits, hey, we're Alabama, but we can't just do the things we always do to win games. So we have to um, actually utilize some some outside thinking and and uh, play as an underdog for a minute. Um, was super interesting uh, because it's it's such a, a a change of identity for them, um, and I think it actually uh, made the I mean it definitely made the game more exciting just because uh, it flipped the script. Um, we came in. Alabama was a touchdown favorite. Alabama is the, um, you know, the dominant program in the sport, uh, and to see them win a team um, by doing things that they're just totally, uh, against their normal identity was pretty thrilling.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, the, there were a lot of startling points, um, watching from, from in person. It was, uh, the, fe- the place was a zoo energy wise, um, on both sides for, for much of the game, but for three, three quarters, Clemson fans were, um, I mean, apoplectic in a good way. Um, I mean, the, the place was buzzing, it was electric. You could feel the energy that Clemson was generating. Um, I mean, the the clock mishaps and all that at the end of the first half didn't really derail them. Um, but, yeah, you know, some of the things that Balich brought up and others have brought up, uh, the fact that Bama, you know, coached in-game, which is a rarity, um, and, and really kind of changed the way that their philosophy. I mean, when I saw Derrick Henry just getting stuffed, and this is the Heisman winner behind, you know, um, one of the best offensive lines um, in the sport to see Henry get stuffed repeatedly um, to me was very disconcerting. And, and given how many times um, the Clemson front, you know, w- w- was able to get after um, what's his face. Why can't I remember? Jake Coker. There it is. For some reason, he, the game is, slipped my he mind. is a very what's his face quarterback though <laughs> That's in your defense. <laughs> Jay Coker's name slipped my mind for a second because he is mostly anonymous. Um, yeah, He's an he, Alabama quarterback through and through. This is true. He, uh, he didn't look great for most of the day. Um, he was definitely made to look better by O.J. Howard and others. But, yeah, he, uh, you know, he kind of made questionable decisions. He really kind of succumbed to pressure pretty quickly. Um, but suddenly, like when you know, he was needed, he was able to, to spot Receivers open single coverage. Receivers were able to get open in single coverage, um, and, and to me, it was just it was crazy to see Alabama pivot because in, in in the previous losses, we've seen to, to teams similar to Clemson, whether it's an Ole Miss um, or a Texas A and M um, or the Auburn game. It, it was just these. It wasn't that Alabama got outplayed. It was it was that they just. They weren't playing the same game, and, and it eventually came back to bite them. I think in this one, Alabama understood that Clemson was playing a different game and shifted. Um, I don't know if you've read the Roger Sherman piece on SB Nation today, but it really was a fascinating breakdown, and, and for anyone who hasn't read it, please do. Um, it's on the SB Nation College football page. It breaks down um, the very, very small error that uh, that Nick Saban and his, set, and his staff um, identified in the week leading up. Uh, they saw game after game that Clemson was lining up um, for kicks with um, a decent amount of space open on the right side. They observed the same exact thing in the beginning parts of um, the game on Monday night, um, and then finally, you know, by the fourth kick, uh, decided to exploit it. And I thought it was just again, you know, a really fascinating look at um, at what you know what saving football means, and, and really like what um, his staff is just is just so expert at
1: uh yeah, i actually hadn't seen that but i'd heard you know the the strategy behind ad Reg, rogers piece but um it's just it's so perfectly safe like we hear the stories about how on the way, plane ride home from this scene he was watching film of what who knows like what film were you <laughs>
0: like what, what was
1: that pressing what could you
0: possibly be watching
1: <laughs> unless it's like recruiting film for 2017 like that's half what i expect it to be um But it's it's just such an impressive job by them. I I think one of the most intriguing storylines of this Alabama team, um, and I tweeted about it and I got a pretty decent response, Um, has anyone ever gone to Alabama and become instantly more interesting and likable outside of Lane Kiffin?
0: Um, No, Uh, because to me one of the more fun parts of that entire game was seeing his kids um, showering themselves in <laughs> <a> confetti. <laughs> exactly. Well, his daughter yeah.
1: was basically like swinging her brother around in confetti. <laughs> um, but no, like Lane Kiffin is was like he got fired from USC, and everyone's took great joy in that because Lane Kiffin uh, doesn't come across super well. And he goes to Alabama, where a as a college football fan, it doesn't make any sense on its face because he and Saban just seem like such disparate people. Um, and then he goes in; he's been doing for with with very limited quarterback play a really awesome job as coordinator um and i really am a fan of how kiffin's been calling games because um in a, in a lot of senses and, and alabama fall uh, you know it, it's happened with him a couple times there they started Cooper bateman in that old miss team which was stupid um but overall he he doesn't overthink himself very much so last year you just saw them feeding amari cooper the ball as much as possible this year Derrick Henry is our best player. Derrick Henry is one of the best running backs in college football, so let's give Derrick Henry the ball 35, 40 times, if that's what we need to do. And then in the championship, O.J. Howard's wide open every play, so let's just draw a place for O.J. Howard. Who cares the fact that he only had, like, 10 catches in the previous month? Like, they just... He he seems to identify weaknesses, and rather than trying to get too cute or, like, in those old Madden games where there's always the one play that worked every single time, but you get bored of using it. So you run other stuff. Kiffin just runs that play and he'll store 80 points on you. So I think he's done a really, uh, awesome job at Alabama. Um, it's fun to watch him call for touchdowns before the passes even been completed. Uh, and I'm sure once he gets a a head coaching job in the next like year or two, it'll be at somewhere probably a little too big for him. And maybe he'll slip back into the same issues, um, and be insufferable again. But it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting part of these last two years of Alabama football um because he doesn't seem to fit in that culture at all but it's done wonders for him I think
0: yeah you know it I think that he's an intriguing coach I think that the time under Saban has done wonders for him because I think it's allowed him to to maybe simplify the process I think what in that pun intended there um I I guess what what he fell victim to is I think coaching it Three heavily scrutinized organizations, uh, you know, the Oakland Raiders, uh, the Tennessee Volunteers and the USC Trojans, um, you know, pretty bright spotlights on all three. Um, the Raiders for their futility, Tennessee for their inflated sense of self and USC for their equally inflated sense of self and, and money, how they paraded around. And believe me, I, I, love going to Trojans games and I grew up, um, other than rooting for Syracuse, I would root for USC pretty heavily, um when I, like now, didn't sleep. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it is the product of that. I think if he'd been in other programs, I think if, if he moves on and maybe if he went somewhere like a Texas A&M or, or – or not Texas A&M, sorry, a, a Mississippi State, um, a Louisville, like a place like that, if he doesn't go to like a Blue Blood program, I think you'd actually see Lane Kiffin succeed at this point because I, I think – I think a lot of his failures were products of the the circumstances he was put in, and, and the the things that he thought he was supposed to be, which was you know kind of a jerk.
1: Yeah, it's almost like he fell upwards so so quickly in his career, where he got that Raiders job, probably did like fifteen years too early, and then instead of slipping back to like coordinator ranks, he got the Tennessee job, which is you know we don't think of it, but it's one of probably the fifteen biggest jobs in the sport. Just they've just been bad for a while. Um, and then he goes from like a, what, a seven and six year at Tennessee to taking the USC job, which is, you know, just a hair below the NFL, if not on that same level. So it's it's almost like he didn't earn those three jobs. And now he's kind of fallen back to a place where, you know, his career should have progressed him to, which is like the Alabama coordinator gig. And instead of rushing to jump to uh, to back up to where he was, um, it all, it's almost like his career is now naturally progressing the way it should. Um, when he had all that hectic movement, uh, as a head coach, way too early.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I still think that, that Lane Kiffin turns into a, a quality head coach in, in the college ranks. Um, I don't necessarily know if he's he's cut out for pro, but again, he you know he's such a young coach, y- you never can tell. Um, yeah, I, I fully expect him within the next uh, couple of years to take over. Hopefully, um, kind of a mid tier job, um, in, in a power five program that is either already used to uh, decent success or one that really is kind of looking for a, you know, a kick in the pants. And, um, I, I don't necessarily think that's a, a program like a Minnesota or a Purdue necessarily. Um, and based on the Kevin Wilson contract, it won't be Indiana. Um, but you know, y- you could definitely see, um, again, you know, him, him at another sec school, whether it's a Mississippi state or, you know, maybe a Kentucky, if things just don't work out there, um, yeah, who knows. Uh, I think it's way too early to project even though I just finished projecting.
1: I'm going to I'm going to call it. I'm going to say Patton Arduzzi gets a better job.
0: Lane <laughs> Kiffin gets
1: hired by Pitt and Lane Kiffin coaches a total of like 8 games at Pitt and then gets hired by the NFL. The Steelers. <laughs> 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 who,
0: who said, "Oh, well, you know, we were all just hanging out doing nothing on a Saturday in our stadium and thought, actually no, he's he's not a Steelers man. That's not his thing." Um I could see him coaching the Los Angeles Rams.
1: <laughs> oh God! Once they decide that, like, hey, maybe Jeff Fisher's not good, and uh, they they realize what happened. We all realized like four years ago.
0: Honestly, if the Rams are gonna are gonna take up the uh, the personality, they should uh, Lane Kiffin um, and and the the asshole version of Lane Kiffin would be the perfect coach for them.
1: And uh, if Lane Kiffin remains the coach that he is today as the head coach of the LA Rams. Um, I'm drafting Todd early in my fantasy league because he's in a dead about 800 touches. There it is. All
0: right. So last but not least, uh, Syracuse football, um, today, well, technically last night, but officially today, uh, Syracuse named the new tight ends coach, uh, Reno Ferry, Dan, obviously there's a lot of things going on with, with, with Ferry. Um, I guess one, uh, what do you think? And two, do you think this is this was the best hire for the position?
1: Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know much about him at all. Um, I know as much as anyone else does. He's an army guy, which I think uh, is interesting for a number of reasons. Um, he coached at Akron, uh, which means that, and he was the he was one of the lead recruiters at Akron back. Apparently, when Akron was recruiting well, I don't remember that being a thing, but apparently it was when they beat us. <sighs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He he well,
0: recruited all of those players,
1: so he knows how to win. He's knows how to win in the dome. Exactly, that's good.
0: He's undefeated in the carrier Dome.
1: Oh god, I don't even think he was on that team. But I think that was after he had been like
0: yeah. It, well, actually, yeah. It he left. He left in 2010, so he was a member. Oh, so of that he was on. That team.
1: Team. Yeah, he was so, with the
0: players, but he was recruiting coordinator from 2005 to 2007, and we lost to them in 2008. So the starters on that team were almost unequivocally players that he recruited.
1: Great. <laughs> Always tying it back to that team. Yeah. Um And then, obviously, he was the the recruiting coordinator and coach at, at Towson, where I think coached running backs and then receivers tight ends and had some good success at both. So, I mean, his, his resume you know, probably doesn't blow you away, but he's done well at the levels he's been at. He's definitely a recruiting guy. I think if you're hiring a tight ends coach, like he kind of has to be a recruiting guy because it's not – um, really a prominent enough position uh, for most teams to just solely be him coaching up those like five guys so uh, I'm fine with it I just don't know enough to really have a huge opinion on him
0: yeah I think that's fair I think that was my thought last night I think some people kind of pivoted a little bit um, afterward just because the, the one thing the two people harped on were well a couple people harped on but two things that people harped on were um, his time with BP and uh, the Gulf of Mexico that really isn't do anything one way or the other, Um, as well as uh, the fact that he resigned at Akron um, amid some recruiting violation allegations that never really came to fruition, or if they did, they were dealt with internally. Um, So some people saw those as a little bit of red flags, and obviously people, after the last staff, people don't like to see a glut of guys coming from MAC schools or FCS schools, and uh, Ferry happens to come from both. So that, uh, that definitely doesn't thrill everyone, but you know what? I I think that I've, I've honestly, I, and again, this is surprising the most, I've been super optimistic, not just because I, you know, I'm trying to prove that I can be positive and optimistic, but also because, you know, this is a, uh, this is a new coaching staff that hasn't coached a down at Syracuse and I want to give them a shot, but this is the first, this is the only move so far that I've had a little bit of pause, um, on, especially when you know there were probably a couple other options, um, both on the Babor Street and otherwise, that might have also filled kind of a similar role. But you know, again, because we're a private school, we don't really know that the money we're working with, um, and I, I would bet that that money's not really as much as we'd like it to be.
1: No, I think that's really. I think there's a good um, lawn form piece for someone to write about how if you basically if you look at the staff salaries, there's a reason. Um, why the SEC is what it is, uh, even compared to like the Big Ten and Pac-12 and and whatnot. Like those conferences obviously probably pay more per team than like Syracuse does and a lot more than like a match school does. But the SEC is at a whole nother level um, in terms of coordinator and staff salaries. So I think that's really where the most tangible gap is. Um, And Syracuse is definitely most likely on the low end of what the power five pays. So uh, that's definitely an issue um, overall, I think the most, the, the, the biggest differentiator is, you know, he spent this time at Towson. Um, it does give us potentially a presence in the, uh, mid Atlantic and in the, you know, the DMV, which is somewhere where we've really not done much work at all in recent years. Um, and it's very talent, uh, talent heavy, um, and it's not that far away. So I, I wonder what his connections there are obviously he coached there just now. Um, and, and, I think people do get worried about, like, the lower-level stuff. But um, when you're a recruiter, uh, you're recruiting the same schools, whether you're recruiting uh, a D1, an FBS kid, an FCS kid, a D2 kid. Um, you're making building the same relationships. And if you have a good relationship from recruiting the FCS-level kids at these schools when they have a Power 5-type kid, um, you already have those inroads. So I think, you know, it's definitely something. You'd prefer to have all these, you know powerhouse ACC big 10 recruiters. But um, if you're, if your coach and recruit and he's built those connections, uh, I don't think, I, I think there's ground that can be made up pretty easily by having the good relationships. So hopefully he's a die with those. I think you're muted, John.
0: Sorry. <laughs> um, I think it's going back to the same problems we were talking about um, kind of in the comments um, after Syracuse earlier this week hired uh, Wake Forest um, you know, high school relations director, a.k.a. recruiting coordinator, um, Asiel Moba, um, and people were talking about Eric's, Eric White's Rolodex um, versus, versus Moba's uh, when Moba is two years older, has been in a non-Syracuse Power 5 school for a little while. Um, the, the whole thing was I wasn't claiming that Moba was, was a better option than White. I was just claiming that you know, how, how, how is mobile worse? And, and it just seemed like there's such a dedication to this this Rolodex. Like, everybody has a lot of similar Rolodexes, and the fact of the matter is the kid, a lot of the kids we're talking to, the only reason that, that talks didn't progress with Bowling Green past a certain point with the current staff was because Bowling Green was not in a Power 5 conference. And and you're seeing as soon as these, you know, coaches head over to Syracuse, suddenly they were able to reopen these avenues with a lot of these kids. Um, And that's not something that should be discounted. Um, Again, like you just said, you're you're talking to the same coaches, you're establishing the same relationships, no matter what school you're at. Um, And obviously, if the same coaching staff goes up to a better job, um, you know, you just you have more entice. Like you've already done the legwork of establishing a relationship with the kid, with the coaches. Now you're just you're selling the new school and the better school, and you have a better proposition for them. So to me, like I, I just. There's an awful lot of questioning of, of this staff, and, and I don't know if it's, it's you know in part whether the site's kind of negative bend toward Schaefer's staff at the end or, or the fan base's negative uh, bend toward Schaefer's staff at the end, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people that are still like way on edge um, and are willing to doubt anything that a, that a Syracuse coach says, um, at least as far as football is concerned.
1: I think it's a strange combination. Like it's a it's a strange like pairing of bedfellows of people that were very very loyal to Schaefer and that are still mad that he got fired, which is is whatever. And then also people who were very very happy to fire Schaefer, but then think that we brought in a Mac, uh, you know, a Mac caliber coaching staff, and see it as a, um, yeah, obviously the the style and whatnot are way different but they think it's just like another Schaefer that focuses on offense instead of defense so I think both of those sides which should be like kind of vehemently like opposite are kind of both voicing um negative opinions about the same things which is interesting at least that's my read on it
0: yeah I think we're just a weird fan base and and that includes us uh so we don't want to make it seem like we're pointing fingers at others uh the weird fan base uh, commentary goes to literally all of us um, and, and probably will to the end of time. Um, Dan, and to, to wrap us up, I guess, uh, you know, who are some recruits that, that you're a little high on? And, and again, no worries if you haven't really done a ton of digging on this yet, but some recruits that you're a little high on that, uh, that are going to be visiting Syracuse in the next couple weeks. I mean, there's a long list of, you know, 20, three plus at this point that are going to be here sometime in January.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm trying to open up find the uh, the visits just as there's a crazy number of players coming. Um, I I really like Sorry, my headset fell out. Good. Um I I really like a lot of the guys that are already committed. Um just for you know i think it's a a pretty good sign when i think it's a pretty good sign when one staff oh my god i can't keep this thing in <laughs> um when one staff uh recruits someone and obviously uh it does seem like the baber staff came in and wasn't married to any of them and the fact that they've kept the guys they've kept i think is, is a positive and i think when we saw um marone take over for robinson um and unfortunately this is now rehashed because of Robinson's stuff this week, but uh, I think Marone only kept like four commits from Robinson, and like they were, I think a couple of them were like Justin Pugh and uh, Alec Lemon, Um, so like they're they're really, Marone didn't have a lot of faith in what Robinson was doing, because he let go most of them, but the ones he kept uh, turned out to be really good. Um, So I I always think, you know, Babers had no reason to hang on to the ones he did, um, but Obviously, I think uh, he communicated that he really liked the ones that are still around. So, um, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Sam Heckel. I think he's going to be really good. I like kind of Midwestern linemen. Um, it seems like he has a really nice frame to build on. Um, one of the guys that we've been in on forever, Tintrell uh, Moran. Um, he's like a three-, four-star kid. Um, I think he is a, still an Illinois commit, although it seems like it's been shaky for a while. But he has really good offers. Uh, but just seems like he's a, a really solid running back, um, and one that you know both staffs were recruiting heavily. Uh, so it, it just seems like he's been on the on the radar for so long, and, and he's been on the verge of of maybe flipping. Um, just really want to get him in. Um, and uh, I'm trying to go through this list, um, the California kids are all really interesting to me. Um, Devon Cooper, uh, Sean Riley, like, they're, I think just building that pipeline and and kind of bridging that, uh, you know, relationship with that staff, and obviously a couple of these kids were, were guys that were committed to Arizona, and so, you know, a pretty solid program there, one of them, um, so I feel good about them, and, and I'm interested to see how these two weekends go since there are so many players coming in, and I do expect that you'll see, like, a huge rush of commitments after both of these weekends just because... Um, it seems like the staff is going all in on on making their big push to fill out the the, the class since it has been kind of gutted recently. And obviously, there haven't been commitments recently because of the de- the dead period and the lack of contact. So, I'm excited. I think we're going to see a lot of action once we get these guys to campus.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think that that there's a lot to watch out for, kind of this Saturday and Sunday, um, with a big group coming into town, especially those California kids. The California kids are interesting because I know that for the most part, uh, Syracuse tries to, you know. Go for recruits that there's going to be direct flights to Syracuse from, and Los Angeles is not one of those places, um, at least not to my knowledge. Um, usually, for LA, you're going to need to stop somewhere, even if it's JFK, um, and take a hopper. But um, still, you know what? If because the relationship's there, I mean, Sean Riley has some decent Mountain West interest, um, and, and obviously, you know, had the Arizona um, offer, but but with the the gray shirt nonsense. He's out. Cooper has a has a really nice roster of uh, of offers, um, and and if he's as committed to to playing with Riley as it seems, I, I think this could be a, a huge huge uh, get for SU. As we're looking to add some speed, um, add some additional playmakers um, on the offensive side. Um, another player who I think is a huge key to all this is Drew Beasley. Um, you know, he's from De South Salle uh, High School over in Warren, Michigan. Um, we added Michigan guys specifically. Um, for guys like Drew Beasley, it seems, based on everything we've heard, that Beasley is pretty high on SU and really just wants to, to get a feel for everything um, before committing. Uh, but the bigger part of that um, is that he's also friends with Desmond Fitzpatrick. Um, Stephen Bailey had a really great article about uh, Fitzpatrick on Wednesday, um, and Fitzpatrick is super high on SU. He's super high on Mike Hart. Um, and, and if Hart can can help land you know a, a four-star receiver like Fitzpatrick, who has a ton of offers... Um, and and it Beasley helps that too. I mean, that that would be enormous, and I think put to put to rest a lot of fears that, that some might have about the uh, the you know kind of converted Mac guys that that some feel like or all we're recruiting. That's not true. Um, I mean, Kenneth Ruff's already on on campus, and he was a three star Virginia linebacker who grades out really well, and, and probably is a perfect fit for the Tampa too. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of the guys you mentioned are great. I'm very interested to see what happens with Stuart Reese. Um, Florida State's a favorite, so obviously we're dealing with a very talented player here. Um, I, I don't think we get him, but um, it, it's always good to be in those conversations, especially someone who has the size, and he's 6'7", 335, a guy who already has you know NFL-level talent. Um, I really do think we need to do a little bit more work now on the defensive back front. I think as much as the staff might not be super high on him, um, I wouldn't doubt it if you saw Devin Clark get an offer. Um, that he can actually commit to um, this time around just because there's not a ton of defensive backs on this list, um, and, and especially not a ton that I think we're uh, we're really, really in on. Um, I think Evan Foster and, and Clark seem like the two best options um, to head to us. So, uh, again, I, I think he gets an offer and I think he commits uh, because he's really been high on Syracuse since day one and really has not wanted to go anywhere else. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a long-winded way of saying that some of my favorites, and and that, that, you know, again, we're we're in for a couple big weekends, just like you uh, you had said earlier.
1: Yeah, I I agree on Clark. I think, um, you know, he's just been in the, you know, he's been on the radar for so long, and he does seem like a guy who is pretty invested, so, um, and and I think we just kind of need DBs, so even if he's, you know, not an A-level guy, I mean, if he's someone that the staff thinks they can bring and maybe develop, but just having more bodies in that position, honestly, is important at this point because we've seen what happens when uh, Syracuse is low on DBs. It, it was not. It was. It was pretty ugly this year.
0: Agreed, and yeah, that's a thing. I mean, you and I have talked about the depth issues uh, numerous times, but uh, when you have depth issues and talent issues, at least at the top of the depth chart, doesn't like these things. You know, can improve. I mean, these kids are going to improve, especially with the amount of reps they were getting on the field. But um, I think we just need depth, more open competition. Um, going into this coming fall to, to see who can play. Um, one kid I wanted to touch on before we left here, um, you know Devin Modster, um, another kid who decommitted from Arizona. Um, he's super and you know he's four star. He's got interest all over the board. Uh UCLA's the favorite, but Dan, do you think we have any shot? I know a lot of people say no. There's some, you know, more vocal fans that say yes. Uh, do you think there's any chance here?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't give it a, a huge chance, but if you get someone on campus, I think there's, uh, there's always, you know, they could always fall in love with the stool and the staff and everything. So, um, I'll feel a lot better if they get them on a visit, but, you know, coming from California, obviously it's, you know, a bit iffy that, you know, you sell a kid on coming from there to play at Syracuse, but we've done it before and, Obviously, there are a handful of others who are interested in making a similar trip, so um, there's definitely a chance, but this kid, you know, he's a pretty big-time player. Uh, It would say a lot about what people think about Dino Baber's system and him as a coach if if he gets him, so I'm rooting for it, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't call it like a failure if he doesn't land him or if we don't make a cut or whatever. I think it's nice to be involved, and and he does seem to be taking us fairly seriously, even though we just got involved in the last couple weeks.
0: Same here, and you know what, I, I think it's unfortunate, the, the one knock I will have on it is that if Modster enabled to set up his visit for this weekend um, with the other kids from the uh, Los Angeles area, I mean, uh, Rancho Santa Margarita is from down Orange County, it's not exactly right next door, but to, to have a couple other um, kids there from the same general area, I think would have spoken volumes, I know it helped us when we had that big crop of Georgia kids. Um, we've had the New Jersey kids in the past, having them all come up together, um, just kind of create a little bit more camaraderie, um, especially, I mean, the New Jersey kids, it's one thing you're a couple hours away. Um, but for the, uh, Georgia kids or for California kids or, or you know, Miami kids, um, uh, bringing them up as a group and having them kind of, you know, find all that in common with each other right away and, and seeing all of them come from the same background and similar, uh, situations and similar climate, et cetera seeing them all see the same things in syracuse i think has, has been a big boost um and you know that, that's one thing that we might see with the michigan and illinois kids this weekend um but in general uh, i think would have been a nice uh would have been a nice boost uh for the california kids as well
1: yeah I, I definitely easier to see you know to make a big move like that when you're not the only one so uh def- will be interesting i i think um you could easily, you can kind of see that with how many kids from these different spots all kind of group together and, and build their own relationships. So, it will be cool if the California kids do something similar. But you know, I, I'm I'm not going to be too depressed if they don't land them here on the first star round. Um, but overall, I think there's some really interesting players coming to campus, and uh, I think I think we're going to get like one. I think we're going to land a, a fish that people get pretty excited about. I, I just have a feeling that there's at least one of these pretty big recruits. Um, is going to be sold, and that'll kind of get people going because uh, I do think that um, this dead period has kind of killed some of the momentum of uh, you know with the fan base. Not really what's happening out on the recruiting trail, but people do seem to be a little uh, hungry for a big commitment um, from Babers, and he's been on the, team, on the you know in the program for a while. And outside of the UNC halftime game, uh, thing, there hasn't been a lot from him. Um, he's kind of been quiet as the church so far, which is fine because he's just been doing what he needs to do. But um, I do think that there could, you know, we could use something to kind of get the, the fan base pumped, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if we have a, a pretty big commitment in the next couple weeks. And that's not me knowing anything. I just, you know, just feels like that's going to happen for me.
0: I would agree. Um, I think it's a good place to wrap up. Dan, anything else before we uh, sign off for the week?
1: No, just uh, trying to get through these next couple of weeks until signing day, I think. um We have a lot of room in this class where we didn't, you know, a couple weeks ago when Schaefer was still here. So um, I think they're going to be a busy couple weeks.
0: Agreed, agreed. Um, And on that note, uh, you've been listening to Troy Nunes. is an absolute podcast. Um, That was Dan. I'm John. Uh, Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk and on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, go Orange this weekend. Go Orange.
1: The pressure to innovate is constant. It can be crippling, or it can be a catalyst for your best thinking and your best work. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you understand the forces that drive change and find new approaches to compete and win on innovation. Change course. Get ahead. Go. Start by going to hbs.me/go. That's hbs.me/go. At Jared.